Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I would just rather stay in bed in the morning. I would prefer the warmth and the quiet and no one asking anything of me. If you see me at the gym, I might appear friendly on the outside, but on the inside, I may be thinking, what time can I actually go back to bed tonight? (laughs) How do you wake up in the morning? Maybe you're like Brian, and your feet hit the floor before the alarm even goes off. Oftentimes, he's even awake before his alarm, particularly if it's a day of swimming or on a Sunday morning. Maybe you're more like teenagers that shall remain nameless, and you might wake them up and then need to wake them up again, and then perhaps check three or four more times. It's okay. There's no shame here today. Well, we're going to look at a passage of the Bible that we might expect God to direct to people who don't yet believe in Jesus. But instead, it is actually written to those of us who would say, I am a follower of Jesus. This whole series that we're in, based on the book that I mentioned earlier, is on race and community. We're calling it our beloved community series based on a term that Reverend Dr. King coined in the late 1950s. Michelle Sanchez was here last week, and we were able to listen to her, and she is the one who wrote this book. And actually, I found out last week, she wrote the sermon series, and in her giving it to us, we've actually preached it with her for the first time. So not only are we following a great book, we're like pioneers kind of doing a cool thing. And so she's asked us, like, give, give me feedback. How is it going? So Michelle thanks us for joining with her in this and would love to hear any feedback. So, Michelle that we had last week, she is an executive minister within our denomination, within the Macon and Deepen Disciples Department. And so part of this really is about discipleship. It's about how we follow Jesus. Our denomination is committed to advancing the mission of God, which includes the diversity of all peoples, nationalities, economic status, all people. We seek to unify the church by breaking down dividing walls through biblical justice. So this series, Becoming a Beloved Community, we are hoping that it will equip and inspire and challenge all of us to develop awareness and understanding and action towards joining God in making things right. And I think we can all agree there are a lot of things wrong out there that could use some work. So we are going to look at the book of Ephesians, and I have to say, this is my favorite book of the Bible. Maybe you're not supposed to have favorites, I don't know, it's like children, but I love Ephesians. Ephesians is written to a letter. I'm sorry, it's a letter written to a church full of believers, and they're learning what it is like to come to Jesus for the first time. They were formerly not followers of Jesus, and they have now become followers of Jesus. And this morning, I actually watched the Bible Project overview of the book of Ephesians. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, today, when all the football games are probably going to be blowouts, just go to your phone and search the Bible Project. They have amazing videos, podcasts, Things that we have watched with our kids from little, you know, little ages all the way up to any of us can really learn. And the overview of of Ephesians was really helpful, as I thought, about coming into this series. One of the things Ephesians is redundant about is how Jesus wants to be Lord over every single part of our life. So we're going to start in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 8, going through 14. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And finds out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay, waking up is our theme today. Spoiler alert. It's a theme that's woven throughout the entire scripture. If we went through all of them today, we would definitely miss whatever's happening at noon for you. This last section, wake up, sleeper, it's in quotations on the slide. This is likely a hymn or a poem known to the believers in Ephesians. It would, have, it would have been memorable for them. It's a reminder to live out what is actually true with their spiritual state, but they're forgetting and they're slipping back to what's the, what they once were. It's like when Paul says elsewhere, you were once this way, but now you're this way. Take off and put on what is true. You're no longer in darkness, which incidentally, it's a lot easier to sleep when it's dark, isn't it? That's why we have sleep masks. Instead, we are to be in the light. Paul uses the word all about three times in this one short section. Nothing is untouched by the light. Even if there are shadowy places where it's light, it's still lighter than it would be without the light. Just like when we follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, oh, that part's okay. Leave that as you wish. I don't need to have lordship over that. I don't even need to talk to you about it. We can just leave it. That's not how Jesus is. Instead, think about the light. Even if there is a tiny, tiny, barely flickering star as darkness falls, your eye sees it unless you have issues or old lady eyes like I do. But even light, as blurry as it can be, you see it, don't you? I was walking in the dark this morning across my carpet, and there was a slight light coming in from the window, and I could see something on my carpet. Didn't pause to find out. But it, like, glinted. It reflected the light. Even in the darkness, a small light can reflect, and we can notice it. Light always wins. Darkness never overcomes the light. And just as Christ is our light, we can then respond, reflect as a response. That's what we're trying to say today. It's not enough just to have the light wake us up, or it's not even enough just to wake up, but it demands, invites a response. When the light comes up, if it ever comes out again, Lord, it's, it's natural for us, unless we've been working nights and you should sleep, it's natural for us to respond to the light, isn't it? And wake up. It must be time to wake up. I can see the sun. Sometimes that's how I know if I've missed my alarm. It's a little brighter than it should be. Sometimes Paul uses this phrase in other sections of the scripture. And it is a call to be alert to wake up, to not miss something, but to be attentive. For instance, we're about to study when Jesus goes to the cross and the night before he brings a few disciples with him into the garden. 
and probably it's late, and they're tired, and they fall asleep. And Jesus asks them, he rebukes them, you couldn't stay awake for just a few minutes. Romans 13, 11, Paul says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Again, talking to believers. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Meaning, Jesus is coming back. Don't be asleep to that fact. In Revelation, the beginning of Revelation, we see these letters written to certain churches. And each of them had some issues. And the church in Sardis gets a rebuke to wake up. Wake up. Martin Luther King used this language of awakening. I think I have that as a slide as well. One of the great liabilities of history is that all too many people fail to remain awake through great periods of social change. And I would say right now, post-pandemic, racial reckoning, our elections becoming more and more contentious, we are in a season of great social change. Every society has its protectors of the status quo <coughs> and its fraternities of the indifferent who are notorious for sleeping through revelations. I know. I don't want to sleep through a revelation. Anybody else? That phrase even wakes me up. Is there a, rev is there a revolution right now? I want to know about it and I don't want to miss it. Today, he says, our very survival depends on our ability to stay awake and to adjust to new ideas to remain vigilant, and to face the challenge of change. One of the challenges is that darkness doesn't always feel evil. In fact, it feels comfortable. When you're asleep in your bed, oh man, doesn't it feel nice? Sometimes a rainy day is pleasant, isn't it? Because you can just rest. Sometimes sleep is the best thing for us. And you need it. And you should, as the Brits say, have a lion. Or to take a nap. Or to go to bed early. But there are other times, friends, where sleep is the last thing you should do. In fact, it's dangerous. Like, say, when you're driving a car. Or you're in charge of a little. Or you're flying an airplane. Many of us need other people to wake us up to what might seem comfortable but is actually really detrimental. I lived in Bemidji when we got pregnant with Callista, and I remember taking the, the classes they give you. And I think it was supposed to be all about labor, but they taught us a lot of other things. And one of the things they taught us is to not eat too much fish every week from Lake Bemidji because of the high mercury levels. I would have had no idea. I don't like fish, so it's fine. But had I eaten fish, it would have been a problem. Anyone old enough to remember the red dye craze of the 80s? We just wanted to eat our red M&Ms. And they took it away from us because the red dye was actually hurting people. Sometimes there are things wrong with us and we don't know why, so what do we do? We go to a doctor and suddenly we find out we're allergic to something and we had no idea. We need to go to someone else to tell us what's wrong so that we can avoid it, so that we don't fall asleep or miss it. Does this make sense? 
And just because we might think it's comfortable in the darkness and we want to stay asleep, gosh, actually, probably 99 times out of 100, if I just get up and I do my routine, I do feel better. Unless I'm sick or I really have not slept enough and I probably should have stayed in bed, most of the time, I'm so glad that I've gotten up. I feel better. I'm ready for the day. When I'm leaving the Y, I'm still friendly and actually on the inside now matches what's on the outside. So what are we calling you to today to wake up to in this series? It's racism, inequality, how we've been racialized. Even for those of us who already feel educated, I hope that we can all continue to learn and to stay awake. Not falter on the dedication that this whole body of Christ needs to be loved as humans. When it comes to racism, how do we need to awaken? And I wanted to say, for some of you, this is like, duh. Or some of you are people of color. And so please forgive us who are maybe not awake to this. We want to be awake, and we in leadership want to do better. We cannot experience this beloved community if there's inequality. And in fact, as I was listening to the overview of Ephesians this morning, the book talks about unity and about the body of Christ under one spirit. And I thought to myself, how do we experience unity if there's such inequity? I don't think that it's possible. Jesus is calling us to be color-courageous disciples. Awakening to the myth of inequality is what Michelle said. Now, I think if people were to say, what do we Americans, what do we value? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Do they teach that in school still? Does that sound familiar to some of us? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. However, from our foundations, even how we came and colonized this country, that has been a myth. The discovery of the new world, the doctrine of discovery, how we decided, our, my ancestors, I'm like 50% English, my ancestors who came here decided the indigenous people groups were in our way. And so we moved them out of the way and in some ways wiped out entire people groups. Total war was declared with European enslavement of Native Americans by 1637. In 1790, we were still on our way to making sure that only white people of good character could have citizenship. Anyone non-white and not free was not considered a human because people could sway elections with the electoral college if they gathered up enough slaves and had the numbers. The arguments about who qualified for citizenship, now that is an education that I continue to learn. Jim Crow laws through 1965 enforced racial segregation in the South. 1965. It was 11 years before I was born, and I don't feel that old. Now, you might say, that was a long time ago. Should I just use the other mic? Now, you might say that was way back then. Why can't we just get over it? I've heard people say this. I would argue that some of those things still impact today. I remember learning about redlining 
and how they literally built the highways to segregate neighborhoods in Minneapolis. They haven't taken those highways out as far as I know. Soldiers coming back from World War II did not receive the same benefits of mortgages and housing advancement like my grandfather did when he came back from World War II because my grandpa was white. Native Americans did not have freedom of, freedom of religion until 1978, two years after I was born. 676, that's when I was born, June 1976. Much of the things that happened in the past lead to where we are today, and there hasn't been enough work to bring equity. Michelle talked about different levels of how racism and honestly how our life function, personally, independently, even like thinking about me and Jesus, and then interpersonally, my relationship with other people, systemically, and then cosmically. And I pray that as we're preaching this, something's going on in the heavenlies that I don't really know about, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit and the angels and whatever else happens, that they're doing battle for us and they're going to empower us and give us the spirit. We're going to talk about that third level, the systems, okay? Michelle walks through seven systems of racism. I'm going to try to walk through them quickly. Some of what I'm going to say isn't going to match exactly what's on the screen, but there are a lot of statistics, and so I wanted to give you what she had and also some things that I thought would be helpful. And again, this is a plug. We're not getting any money for this, and I doubt Michelle's making that much money on the book, but the book, okay? Order it. Okay, system number one. You ready? This is like so hard. Help, help me, Lord. I mean, I just, some of these I had to reread the statistics because I didn't believe them. Okay, number one, wealth. Whites enjoy almost eight times a higher income than the next highest group, which is blacks. Whites with no bachelor's degree still make more than blacks and Latinos who do have a degree. This is not about education or how smart or how stupid people are. Whites, we hold 90% of our world's wealth. And we are not 90% of our country's population. Okay, home ownership. Talked about redlining already a little bit. Blacks, out of all of the races, own the least amount of homes. God have mercy. Number three, employment. Recently I read this study where if your name is Emily or Greg and you write it on an application, you are 50 times more likely to get a callback for an interview. Just the interview, we're not talking about jobs or anything, we're just talking about applications and interviews. 50 times more likely to be called than if your name is Jamal or Lakeisha, spelt with a K, not a Q or something, whatever, with a K, all right? This might be the reason why blacks are two times more um, unemployed than whites. Number four, education. Follow the money. Schools who are made up of minorities, although they're the majorities in their context, they get $23 billion less than schools who are full of the majority color students. $23 billion? Woo. Help, help me, Lord. Criminal justice. Now, this is something I would love to say, read some books about this, because what I can say in the next 20 seconds doesn't even scratch the surface. But our American prisons, our criminal justice system, our country makes up 5% of the world's population. 
25% of the world's prison population. 40% of our prisoners are black. 40% of our country is not black. Health. This has been highlighted a lot for me during COVID. Native Americans who are supposed to have access to healthcare, just as all of us, they were the last to receive COVID help. It's been proven that black pregnant women get less and worse care than white women. Of the 30% of our population that is uninsured, half are not white. This morning I was watching a Timberwolves highlight last night and it was such a great slam dunk, oh my word, from this amazing African-American athlete. And it reminded me of what I wanted to say today, which is when you think about leadership, sports right now, I'm a huge sports addict if you can't tell, and when you look at the leadership compared to who the players are and the ones we enjoy and we cheer for and we stay up too late and maybe our throats hurt because we're cheering so loud at a sporting event, the people who are in charge are white. And yet we enjoy all of these amazing Cubans and Mexicans and Japanese and African-American and African athletes. And last but not least, in our government, as of 2020, two, two black governors in our country have ever been elected. And let's not even talk about how many non-white women get to have power and say. This is not about being woke as a contemporary trend, friends. This is about having wisdom. The wisdom that God calls us to. The wisdom when Jesus said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's about obeying scriptures timeless, 2,000 years and beyond in the Old Testament. Timeless call to being awake and sober and alert and attentive. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 7. You, you who are following Jesus, you who have said, yes, Lord, I need your grace. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others, the world that just keeps grinding out the same systems. We will not be like that. We who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Jesus calls color courageous disciples to awaken to these inequities that surround us so that we can become the light and we are the light of the world, it says. A.W. Tozer, great author, kind of old school. This is what he says about Ephesians 5.14, what we talked about earlier. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. He says this verse is often spoken to sinners. People have used it in sermons over the years. Instead, A.W. Tozer says, Ephesians was never written to sinners. It's not a message to sinners at all, but a message to one of the best churches in the New Testament. Some of all of Ephesians were in, in a somnolent condition. 
That is, they were morally good but unenlightened. They were religious but unanointed. It is perfectly possible, Tozer says, for a good, faithful, loyal church member to be spiritually asleep. Being in a spiritual state that parallels natural sleep. Likewise, it is possible to be a Christian, to be in the church, and yet be asleep spiritually. Michelle Sanchez, our denomination, scripture, so many faithful brothers and sisters are calling us to wake up. We who are white, to wake up. We who have privilege, to wake up. We who benefit from these systems, to wake up. How can we do that? You know how sometimes you're driving a car, maybe you're unfamiliar with it, and you realize, oh my gosh, there's a blind spot. I have one in the Prius, unfortunately it's in the front, and I can look to the left and there can be somebody in just the right spot and I cannot see them. Well, I know this, and if I'm a good driver, I'm gonna pay extra attention to that blind spot. That is what we're talking about. It might not come naturally. It might even like not feel comfortable. It might be like waking up in the morning when you'd rather sleep in. But we pay attention to it because it is important. Because it's not just about me, it's my relationships. It's the city in which I live. It's the country of which I am a part. And I guarantee you, if you find someone of color in or outside the church and you ask them questions, if they have patience enough to answer your questions, they will say, what I just said isn't even scratching the surface and they could tell you stories. Oh Lord, help us repent from this, and not just repent, but try to make change. And I wanna end with this. In Ephesians it says, at the end of that poem, Christ will shine on you. I don't know what that looks like, but I know that light is good And I know that it always wins. And I want to receive that goodness. But I think in order to get there, we've got a lot of things to work through. Amen. Let's ask God for help, and then I'm going to ask John to come back. Jesus, you know, this book is called Color Courageous Discipleship, and we need courage. For some of us, we don't even like what I just said. (laughs) Some people... uh, really get angry about this. Lord, there's conflict. We can talk about the ins and outs, the oh, but. And Lord, I just would ask that your Holy Spirit would give us that wisdom, that your Holy Spirit would be alive and active. And Lord, as we sit in this school, named after Rosa Parks, named after a woman who was not the first, but in a long line of people who were just tired of people sleeping, that you, Lord, would create in us a clean heart. That you would help us to see the injustices, that, Lord, we would wake up. And, Father, when there are so many of us that don't know exactly what this all means, Father, that you would give us wisdom and that we would not give up. That we wouldn't be content with just knowing where the blind spot is, but working, working, paying attention, Lord God. We need your help. Amen.